Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Most of you have already figured out we're doing our order just a little bit different. And the reason we're doing that is because I think that what you will hear tonight will just uh, provoke a response in your heart. And we want to give opportunity during our worship time to let you respond to the word of the Lord. And so it's a very simple thing, a very easy thing, and making a pathway so that you can respond to what the Lord would say to you tonight. Um, I've got to tell you the story, though. I, uh, we have family night. Our family night at our house is Thursday evening, and it's a pile-on. It's, it's great. About 5 o'clock, everyone starts showing up at our house. Annette makes a nice meal. Uh, we barbecued fish uh, Thursday night and had all the kids there and the grandkids. And I just will happen to have it on, you know, a, a baseball game or that kind of thing. And, and they'll walk in. And, of course, my grandson, he's almost two, he loves a baseball. So... He saw baseball on TV, and he ran over, and he sat right next to me, and my little granddaughter came over, and she says, Grandpa, I don't want to watch baseball. Can I watch Cinderella? And she had a little DVD, and I said, sure, I'll, I'll plug it in for you. And so I plugged it in, and I was messing with the remote controls, and Jack was so excited because baseball was on TV, and he just had a, and he was going like this and watching it. Whenever there's a pitch, he goes like this, like this, and so he's watching that, and all of a sudden, Cinderella came on out of nowhere, and he went like this to like, oh, and, and his little sister saw that, and she started laughing, and then Cinderella played all the way through, and he came back into the room, and it went off, and he stood there, and he goes, baseball, 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 baseball. I got a great grandson, you know that? He is fun. So we had a great time. We watched a little baseball. And then when he was leaving, it was on TV. And he goes, bye-bye, baseball. I said, that's good, man. You're right from my lineage. You know that? You're right there. So that's good. Well, it really is good to see everybody tonight. Uh, Tonight is a a good night. It's one of those evenings, one of the weekends that we really look at kicking off the fall. A lot of our kids come back for U-turn, just different things happening. And I don't know if I've ever done this before this early. But what I want to do tonight is share with you the theme of 2011. And I think the reason we're doing this this early, at least as far as the Holy Spirit is leading us to do it this early, is because it's going to take some time for us to think about it. I think it's going to take some time for us to understand the implications of what this phrase, this word of the Lord really means to us. I know, I know I've been doing that, thinking about that, and, and pondering it, praying over that. And so what we're going to do tonight, and we've actually, and the Lord was so gracious, he's worked it into our text, Touchable Jesus, Touchable Church. And so we've been able to see how that works out, even in the study of the book of Acts. And so we're going to do that together tonight. But I want to just give you a little background on how this word really developed and evolved in our lives. Some of you have heard this, uh, maybe being in a small group meeting or you've been with other people where I've shared it just a little bit. But the story really begins back around May. We were praying for what the Lord wanted for us, what he was asking for Annette and I, for our church community, for the things that he would have us do, the direction he would have us go. And uh, one evening I woke up, it was probably two or three o'clock in the evening, and I woke up, and the phrase was repeated over and over. It was just not one phrase one time. It was the same phrase that the, the Lord just kept repeating in my mind and my heart, and it was, return to your first love, return to your first love, return to your first love. Well, when I heard that, I recognized that there are a lot of implications to that. 
The implications are you've been distracted. The implications are you may be doing good things, but not the best things. The implications are you're really not focused as well as you do. You should be fo- You should be focused. And all of this just began to, in some ways, cascade in my own heart, my own life. And I began to think about what areas does this really affect. Certainly it affects my relationship with the Lord. That's, that's number one. It affects my relationship with Annette. It affects my relationship with my kids, with my church family. And I don't think it's an accident that we're able to share this on our anniversary in this church because I really do believe that there's times in the journey that you go through as leading, as pastoring, where you have to stop and say, am I still doing the things that I love to do? Am I still doing the things that God has called me to do? Am I still doing that with purpose and passion? And I think in some areas I could say yes, but to be honest, in some other areas I have to say no. I really have to say no. I mean, when I looked at it, I thought, I, I, I really used to enjoy this and love to do these parts of ministry and those kinds of things, but for whatever reasons, and again, you could, you could stack them all up. They can be good reasons, and that's the thing. That's the thing. You have to always understand that good oftentimes is the enemy of best. It isn't bad and best, it's good and best. And so it takes the the shaking of God's spirit, it takes the word of God's spirit, the plunging of God's word in your own heart. Well, I woke up the next morning, I explained to Annette what was going on. She confirmed that in her own life. And and we were getting ready, actually, it was the next day or two, we were leaving to go to our international convention in Atlanta, Georgia. That's our four-square national and international family gathering together for about a week and just hearing the word of the Lord. And so we did. It was there in Atlanta that we went. And uh, it was the second evening there that we had a guest speaker named Francis Chan who wrote the book Crazy Love. And I think the other one is The Lost God, uh, the, the Forgotten God. And, uh, and uh, he pastors in, a, in my, the hometown I grew up in, in Simi Valley, California. And so he, uh, he presented a, a wonderful message. And he told everybody, actually, he announced this was the second audience that he told that he had resigned his church. The first audience was his church. The second audience, audience was us. He said, I was asked reasons why I would resign after 14 years and things were going very well. His answer was very simple. His answer was, I've become too comfortable. I've just simply become too comfortable. So what he's doing is he's packing up his kids, his family. I think he has four kids and it was after he resigned his church or made the announcement that they found out they were pregnant with their fifth. And uh, they're going to pack everything up and go to the mission field in Thailand. And they're going to stay there. They're going to spend some time there. And then he wants to come back and the whole family wants to move to the inner city of Los Angeles and just basically feed the poor. That's what he wants to do. That's what he believes God has called him to do. And he explained this journey. He gave this testimony. Of course, Annette and I are all ears. We're listening to this, especially as he talked about you know, being too comfortable and maybe being distracted and all those kinds of things. The whole message was quite enticing. It was, um, it was something that did, as I said, got our attention. But it was the last probably two minutes that really, really had us focused. Because you could tell where he was going with all this. And the very last thing he said before he walked off the platform is he looked at everybody. I thought he was looking at me. And he said, return to your first love. Church, return to your first love. And so today what I want to say is the same thing. I want to echo the same thing. 
Return to your first love. You're the only one that can really take inventory of what that means altogether. It's the, the very words that Jesus spoke through the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. He said, you guys have done great things. Return back to those things that you uh, used to do. Turn, return back to, to me. Repent of the things that don't matter. Repent of the things that you've gotten caught up in. Repent of the things that are good but aren't the best. Repent of those things and return to your first love. I think that should, and it does for me, it strikes a chord in my heart. Whenever you hear something like that, you have to ask the question, what does returning to your first love really look like? I mean, again, we all have to take our own inventory. And I think everybody in this room understands what I'm saying when I say spiritual inventory. There's, there's a list. There's things that you know. There's things that you can come up with right away that maybe hinder your relationship with the Lord, that stand in the way, that block the way. I need to take care of that. I need to look at that. What does it look like? I, I think it has to do, really, it has to do with certainly a relationship with the Lord. But I think it has to do with how that relationship's lived out. How do I live that relationship with Jesus Christ? How do I live that passion and love that I've returned to that has gotten a hold of my heart? How do I live that out in the family, the home, the church, the community I live in? How do I express that? How does that look? Because there is probably a look to it, a mark to it that you've seen before. Maybe you've even experienced it in your own life where you looked at somebody's life and you went, aha, they have it, the it factor, it's there. What is it? They've returned. They understand their first love and they're living that out. They're living it out every day, 24-7. Living that out every single day really has to do with reflecting the influence of Jesus Christ and his love in my life. How do I touch others? I think if I was going to capsulize, if I was going to summarize the expression of that in my own life, it would be for others. The word others makes all the sense all the, all the sense in the world to me. How do I do that? I mean, how do I live that out? I, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. And here's somebody who understood it, somebody who had a hold of this. He said, for what is our hope? Tell me our joy or our crown in which we glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and you are our crown. What the Apostle Paul is saying is when I live with that first love passion in my life, when I live making Jesus the main thing, the main thing, then what I understand is my reward is not things here on planet earth. My reward is found someday in heaven because he's saying, you are my glory, you are my crown. What I hope more than anything else is that I see you in heaven. What I hope more than anything else, is that we get to spend eternity together. That's the thing that gives me passion. That's the thing that gets me excited. That's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, it isn't all the other things, but it's this, that we would join together forever in eternity. That's what God's leading us to. That's what God's leading me to. That's what God's leading you to. And it's interesting, when you start thinking about this, it's interesting to me when the Lord 
really strikes up this conversation in your own heart. How many times you're going to be intersecting people's lives and the Lord's going to say, okay, let this be an aha moment for them. Let them recognize that they're valuable to me and I want to spend eternity with them and let them be the joy in your crown, the joy of life so that you would want to see and spend eternity with them in heaven. I've had some unusual encounters in the last couple of weeks that I don't think it's an accident. I've talked to some old buddies I haven't talked to in 30 or 40 years. I've prayed for, but they've called me up. And I'm thinking, my goodness, there's something going on here. My brother and I are mutual friends of one of these buddies, and I called my brother after I talked to my friend down in California, and I asked, I said, is he, he seems tender. There's something going on. And he says, there is. I, I think he's ready. I'm excited. He's coming up in a couple weeks. There are things that are happening right now that I want to pay attention to that I really want you to pay attention to. And then I go to Acts, and this is, again, no coincidence. I go to Acts chapter 9, and you can turn there with me if you want. It's our study found in the book of Acts chapter 9, and it's verses 10 through 19. And there we see, in some ways, how to live out that first love, how to live out that passion. Now, I want to preface this just, just for a moment, because this is important to me. This is so important to me, because today, including in the church... There's so many people that want to be in the spotlight. There's so many people that want to have their name in lights. But when you really think about it, when you really look at it, there are people in Scripture that were always behind the scenes, people that God sent along the way to kind of let other people shine. And I think about that in the life of the Apostle Paul. I think of two people that God sent his way that that. that catapulted him into another area, level, a dimension of relationship with Jesus Christ and the church. The first we're pretty familiar with. We listen to stories about Barnabas, uh, the son of encouragement, because that's what the name means. Some of us aren't really sure who the, the other one is. Well, there is another one, and his name is Ananias. And Ananias, in the story of his relationship with Saul at the time, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, is found in Acts chapter 9. And I'm thinking, here is a gatekeeper. Here is somebody who isn't concerned about what they look like. They're not concerned about them being in the spotlight or getting all the accolades and all the applause. What they're doing is they're wanting to be obedient to the Word of God, and they're wanting to do what God has asked them to do and push other people toward that heavenly relationship to advance other people in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Really, that's what others is all about. And that's what I think real passion, the first love, looks like. Because it's not selfish. It doesn't hold on. It lets go. And here's this wonderful story beginning at verse 10. And it says, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And I'm going to stop there. You're going to, you're going to have to follow me here. Whenever the word disciple is used, it typically means right at that moment that they were people who were directly related to Jesus Christ. They had some exposure to following Jesus Christ because it doesn't say that about Saul as you read the story. It says a follower or it says something about that person, but it doesn't use the word disciple. In this case, it uses the word Ananias was a disciple of Jesus Christ, which indicates to us that he probably had a real encounter with Jesus. 
And so this man named Ananias, it says that the Lord had come to him in a vision saying, Ananias, Ananias. I love that whenever the Lord comes to people in visions, he always uses their name right away. Abraham, Ananias, Saul, Paul. And when he talks to you, he does the same thing. He's telling you, I want your attention. I have something to tell you. It's kind of like your mom saying to me, Ronald, all right, you have my attention. I'll listen. Ananias. And he said, here am I, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, Lord, I, uh, I've heard from many people about this man, how much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And I'm going to stop there. And basically what he's saying, and you're asking me to go have a relationship with this guy? You're asking me to call on him? Go right into his room when he's been coming into our rooms and taking us out? Stoning us, killing us, whipping us, beating us? And you want me to walk right into this? And here it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, before kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things that he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened, and then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. That's a great story. Oftentimes an unheralded story. We move a little further. In fact, it's just the next chapter over. We read the story of Barnabas and what a great story that is. Where Barnabas takes Saul, Paul, and ushers him in and brings him in and introduces him to the leaders of Jerusalem. They were scared to death. But Barnabas says, I'll take a chance on him. Ananias does the same thing. He says, I'll take a chance. I'll do what God's asked me to do. I'll live my life for others. Because I trust Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the main thing in my life. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what I've been asked to do. So uh, I want to just tell you a few things about what it looks like when you live your life with your first love in mind. When you live your life with others in mind and how that translates. You see what I'm saying? It's connected. Number one is this. Living for others requires a vision. It really does. When you live your life for others, there needs to be a, a vision. And that's what it says in Acts 9, 10 through 12. Ananias has a vision from the Lord. Listen, if you're wandering, if you're unsure, if you're not quite confident of where God is leading you, ask him to speak to you, to give you a vision, because he will. 
Say, God, give me a vision. Let me see what you want me to see. Let me do what you're asking me to do. Listen, a vision always begins with just a few things. I want to tell you what it begins with. Number one, a vision always begins by hearing God's word. That's true about Ananias. You can't have a vision if you're not hearing the word of God. You can't have a vision if you're not exposing your life to the word of God. It's very difficult. In fact, it's impossible because it's the word of God spoken to you that changes and transforms your heart. It's the word of God that gives you the blueprint for your life, for the purpose that God has called you here for. It's the word of God. You need to be available and open to hear the word of God. You've heard that before, but I have to say it again. And then the second thing is seeing what God sees. You need to hear the word of God and you need to see what God sees. And that's exactly what Ananias does. God shows him something and he says, I'm going to partner with that. I'm going to come alongside that. And he's probably thinking, God, I would have never saw that. I would have never thought about Saul being one of those people that you have set aside to be a great leader in the body of Christ in the early church to do what he did I would have never seen that but because you have seen it God I see it now let me see what you see and I think when we're influencing others when we influence our children when we influence uh, those that are around us we need to keep asking that question God let me see what you see in them let me see that because I want to help them get there About 10 or 15 years ago, I don't remember exactly when, but it was a time in the life of the church overall that people were talking about their goals and stating them and asking you to articulate your mission statement and all those kinds of things. And I remember thinking that's probably a good idea, but it made me feel a little uncomfortable because I remember going through a time trying to grapple with that and ask the question, And I was being asked the question, what is the vision you have for this church? And I'm thinking, man, i got to come up with something. I really have something slick, something you can just get right there and put down and people get excited. Oh, my God. Listen to what this is. And, and And I really, I probably disappointed a lot of people. Because you know what my vision ended up being? My vision is to help you find your vision. That's God's call in my life. God's call on Annette and I is to help others find their vision by teaching the word of God, by mentoring, by being friends, by having a relationship. It's helping you get where God wants you to be. That's my vision. to say, Lord, where do you want? Where do you want us to be? Where do you want these people to be? That's what's promoted so many things that you've seen around here. That's what promoted the passion behind CBC and and our discipleship programs and our home links and all these things that we do. It's to help you know your vision, to know it and to follow it. You need to be given every opportunity. You need to have the environment, the culture to find and to be free to find God's vision and purpose for your life. And what comes out of that is between you and God. Yeah, maybe, maybe you leave here and you, you go and you're planting a church because we've done that about 10 or 12 times. Maybe, maybe you grow up here and you say, man, I, I have a burden for Albania. And so we lay hands on you and now you've been in Albania for 8 or 10 years. By the way, all this is true. 
Maybe God has called you to something. Maybe it's to your neighborhood. Maybe it's, listen, the greatest ministries that have come out of this church haven't started in this noggin. They've started in your hearts. People who have said, man, I just have a passion for this. Can you help me? Yes, well, let's talk about it. I want to feed these people. I want to help these people. And we get together and we talk and we say, be blessed, be anointed, be resourced, and go in the name of Jesus. Man, I'm telling you, there are good things that happen. There are wonderful things that happen. Listen, this isn't about collecting. This is about releasing. There's a difference. And you've heard me say this before. I remember I was so tired of hearing how the church was always collecting. I got a bunch of church magazines, you know, Christianity Today and all those, and I stacked this high. I grabbed them. I walked into my office. I closed the door. I put Do Not Disturb, and I went through all of those to find out if anybody in those magazines were writing articles on how to divest, how to give away. And I was so disappointed because everything had to do with how do you get how do you get people? How do you get more buildings? How do you get more money? All of us, and I understand a lot of that's important, but the priority bothered me. It was really how to give away. I think it's important, don't you? How do I do that? How do I give my life to the Lord? How do I give my life to others? How do we do that? And this is church, this place has specifically. And individually been called to do that. I don't know about all the other churches. I don't know. But I do know this one has been called to do all of this. And that's what we'll lead. That's what we'll encourage. That's what we'll, we will herald. We'll keep saying this over and over and over again. We're going to keep saying, keep the main thing the main thing. And we're going to keep saying to you, fine the vision, and live it out. And the word of God will help you do that. And seeing what God sees will help you do that. And then the second thing, living for others requires courage. It's not an easy thing to do. That's what you see in verses 13 and 14. Ananias needed to buck up here. I mean, it was like, God, do you know what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to go into a murderer's house Someone who really wants to kill us, and you're asking me to do it, lay hands on him. That's a little scary. Can I say this? Courage is not the absence of fear. Did you know that? Courage is that faith rises above fear. And you still do it. Listen, I've done things that God has asked me to do, and I've been shaking in my boots. And I wouldn't be surprised if Ananias walked into that house going, (laughs) but where was he? He was in the house. Where was he? He was laying hands on Paul. And those hands may have been shaken like leaves. Is this guy going to kill me or what? But he didn't let fear rule his life. And I want to say right now, never ever let fear rule your life. In fact, let me say this to you. Can I say this? Whatever fear speaks to you, do the opposite. Do the opposite. It works. I've done it. Because I'm thinking, that's the spirit of fear. Somebody is trying to intimidate me with fear. I'm just going to do the opposite. 
That reminds me of a conversation I had about 20 years ago. You know, we were really thinking here and praying here. How do we reach the community? How do we see other people achieve their vision? And we recognize this. We recognized that about 85 to 90% of those that were coming to Christ all together, everywhere, including our own church, they had some sort of alcohol-related problem. There was something, whether it was in their family or them or whatever. There was just a problem. We knew that we needed to do something. We just couldn't be quiet. We needed to do it. And this was in the days when you just did church. And we said, we, we need to do something. We looked at this Christian 12-step program, which was anathema to a lot of people in the body at that time. And I had someone come in, and they sat down across from my desk, and they started to point their finger, and they said to me, if you do this, you're going to go straight to hell. And if you do this, the whole church is going to fall apart. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling this spirit of fear coming on me. And I caught it. And I said, thank you so much. This person stopped. I said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I said, up to this conversation, I was undecided as to which way I was going to go, but you have helped me decide today which way we're going to go. And this person just went, oh, that's so nice. And I said, we're going to do it. And the countenance changed. And I said, and the reason we're going to do it is because God never uses fear to get people anywhere. And the fact that you've come here to me just tells me it's an indication. You are a sign from God. Thank you. Because we're going to do the opposite. Did you know that you have the longest standing Christian 12-step program here in the state of Oregon? Yeah. But fear could have led it a different way. Fear could have made Ananias not go down straight street, but crooked street. Fear did that to Jonah. Fear can do the same thing to us. Listen, anything worthwhile in life will be a risk. It will really make you take a risk. Here's the third thing. Living for others requires faith. Not only a vision and courage, but it requires faith. And that's what it says, I think, in verse 17. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. He just took what God had told him to do, and he acted on it. Listen, good intentions are good intentions, but good intentions don't get anything done. I have people that live their whole, I know people, they live their life on good intentions and they think they've actually accomplished something. Well, I was going to go there. I was going to study the word. I was going to go to church. I was going to do all that. Yeah, those are good intentions. It's actually stepping out. That's faith. That's living life. It's living life the way that God wants you to live. Now, what are some of the ingredients? When we talk about faith, sometimes we can get way out there. It seems sometimes ethereal, doesn't it? Let me give you some concrete things that you can really hang your hat on. What are some of the ingredients of faith? Number one, I think it's this. Facing the unknown with confidence in the one who knows the unknown. Just going into the unknown knowing that you're with the person who knows. And that's God. It's his presence. It's how his presence fills your life. It's how his presence fills the room you're in when you're worshiping him or your car or, or reading his word. It's, it's his presence that comes in and, and takes the, the fear away from that unknown because you know you're close to someone who knows. 
Isn't that true? You know, you may not know everything, and you probably don't. You probably don't know a lot of things like me. But I'll tell you, when I'm with people who may know certain things about what I'm going to do, I, I want to stay really, really close to them because they know. I mean, I, I don't want to go. I don't want to go mountain climbing without someone who really knows, because I'll die. So I get close to somebody and say, "Hey, let me let me just tag along here, because I think you know." And it makes me feel a whole lot better. Being with someone that knows is being in a safe place, and that's true about our relationship with the Lord. Secondly, is this living with insight that goes beyond what human eyes can see. I think that's what faith looks like, is living with insight that goes beyond what you see with your own eyes. The author of Hebrews tells us that, huh? Thirdly, it's discovering that God's idea is more significant than my idea. <laughs> and that's a humbling process. God, I, I recognize your idea. Your ideas are a lot better than mine. So, you know, I submit to that. And then the other thing is believing that God can overcome my human limitations. That's huge. I, I think that's probably the biggest one in our lives because so many of us live life using that reason that I can't do this because I'm so limited. I don't know how many people that really paralyzes. Maybe it's paralyzed you. But it's not something that God is going to allow as an excuse in your life. So many of us live with limitations. There are all kinds of limitations. The question is, is do you trust in the Lord? Do you, do you know that he can overcome that, that he can take my weakness and make it strong? When I was growing up, when I was young in my teenage years, the, my liability was impatience. My liability was getting in trouble. Just getting in trouble that quick because I was so impatient. And over the years, the Lord has asked me to be patient. He's given me the strength. He's helped me be patient. And now people will say, man, you're patient. And I'm wondering who they're talking to. Oftentimes, I want to look over my shoulder and think, are you talking to me? Because you know what's going on right now in here? <laughs> it's turning, baby. I just want to get something done. But I understand that there's some patience that has to be exercised here. There's some grace that needs to be exercised here. And the timing is everything. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what you see your liabilities as being. But I'm going to tell you what. Listen, in it, what the Lord wants to do is believe, have you believe that God can overcome those human limitations, those human liabilities. But I'm going to say this one last thing. I think living for others requires this last thing. It requires action. And that's what we see here. Action. You got to take the steps. You got to go out. You may be shaking in your boots, but you really need to do it. God's called you to do that. I haven't done this very often. In fact, it's been a long time since I have done it. But I want to give you just a little brief story that took place in our life. A little over 22 years ago, we had been praying that God would lead us to a place like this, to Canby, Oregon. 
Annette and I prayed. We put our kids in the car. We had driven out here. We prayed over this area. And we said, Lord, we want to be in a place like this. We want to raise our family in a place like this. This would be a church we would attend if we lived in the community. And we prayed and we prayed and we prayed. And we kept it to ourselves. We really didn't tell very many people. We told our pastor. We didn't tell a lot of people. But we just kept praying. April of 1988, my pastor at the time at Portland Foursquare came to me and said, I want you to be my executive pastor. Can you do that? Went back to Annette, said, this is what he's asked us to do. I said, let's call the district office. That's the people who oversee the big bosses, the big brothers. They make those assignments. And I said, is Canby, what are they doing in Canby? Because I, I'd really want to know before I make this commitment. And the answer was, oh, man, Canby is such a great church. No one will leave that church. That is a really good church. So we accepted the responsibility. Two weeks later, the pastor of Canby Foursquare Church resigned. We felt like we missed it. We felt like we weren't hearing from God. We felt horrible. We thought, there it is. We missed it. We've given our word to our pastor, and we're obligated to keep that word. We really were. But the whole while, between April and August, they were trying to get a pastor for the church, and we knew about it. We were hearing about it because the founding pastor of this church happened to be on staff with us at Portland 4 at the time. And he was telling us what was going on, and we were, we don't want to hear it. And so Annette and I got together, and we said, we can't be undivided. We can't serve two masters. Our heart needs to be focused, and that's what God deserves. And so... We prayed and we put a, a fleece before the Lord. And here was the fleece. If we were to go to Canby, then our pastor at Portland 4 would come to us and he would release us and bless us to go. And then we laughed because that never happens. We had just been asked to be an executive pastor and I just started the job a week before. I said, well, we'll be here at Portland 4 Square Church probably for the rest of our lives then. And we went about our business. And that Monday, I was in the office, and my pastor said, I need to talk to you. And I thought I was in trouble. I thought, man, how could he tell I'm that bad in one week? I've only been on the job for one week. <laughs> and we went into the office, and he looked at me, and he said, there's a chance that you can pastor the Canby Four Square Church. And I said, what? And he said, there's a chance that you can pastor the Canby Foursquare Church. And I said, are you releasing me and blessing me to go? And he goes, no, no, no. <laughs> he says, that's not what I'm saying. And he talked some more. And I came back to that same place because I wanted a blessing. I wanted to be released. I wanted a blessing. And he said, no, that's not what I'm saying. We talked some more. And he came back to that same place. And I said, pastor, I can't go. I'm your servant. I can't go unless you release me and you bless me. That's the only way I can go. And he got up out of his chair. He walked around. He put his hands on my head. And he said, you are released and you have my blessing. And I jumped up out of the chair. I ran up to my office. I called Annette. I said, Annette, you'll never believe what happened. And I told her. And I said, we need to pray about it. She goes, that's what we've been doing. And I said, oh, yeah. And it was August 19th, 1988, we went into building number two, just built, with all the elders and council members, and we sat there, and everybody dropped their notes, dropped their questions in about 10 minutes and started crying. Our church leaders said, would you just stand? We're going to all stand and sing, we're standing on holy ground. 
And we started singing that together, all of us, crying and singing, crying and singing, because it was a match. Walked out of that building, out of that meeting, and he had his arm around me, my leader, my supervisor, and he said, wow, that was good. And I said, you get to do this all the time? This is pretty cool. He goes, that was the very first time that has ever happened. I said, oh. I said, this is great. This is wonderful. You see, what happened is the Lord would open the door. He would give us the ability to take the steps that we needed to take. And he provided. He made a way. And he wants to make a way for you. I don't know what it is that's kind of holding you back a little bit. Maybe you have to refocus. Maybe this return to your first love really strikes a chord in your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe you haven't walked with the Lord in a long time. And you just need to come home, return. Then you can do that. What we're going to do is we're going to continue in just a moment with worship. And we're going to, at that time, we're going to call our care team members up here. And you're just going to respond. Return. Whatever it is. Do you need to get refocused? Do you need something that you, you know what has been said is true about your life? And some, even some area of your life then what we need to do is just respond to that. Really respond to that. I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward, and what we're going to do right now is, would you just, while they're coming forward, just bow your heads, and you can close your eyes. And I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm just going to pray that the Lord just do a work in your life right now. And that you can respond. Don't hold back. Don't hold back. Respond in the same heart as Ananias. It, it, may scare you to death. Maybe you're being asked to do something that's difficult. Maybe you're being asked to go somewhere that you don't necessarily want to go, but God is calling you. He's asking you first to return to your first love. Get that focus. Get that passion. And then he says, once you do that, you'll be ready to go. You're, you're on your way. Whatever that is, we just respond to that. We're just going to take our time and do that. We're going to take our time. We're going to worship and you're going to respond. As we begin to worship in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand, just come forward. Don't even wait. Because when you stand, we're going to pray. When I'm praying, uh, prayer teams, when I begin to just pray right now, prayer teams, care teams, come forward. And then I'm going to ask you to stand and you just make your way forward as we worship the Lord.